God, we have gathered here to worship you. And uh, it's just been such a joy to be in your house this morning, to hear the reports of Vacation Bible School and how you are at work there, and to know that 15 children gave their life to Christ. We celebrate that. This will be a week that they look back to and point to. When somebody asks them in the future, when did you receive Christ? And they will say a vacation Bible school at Bethel Church in 2022. We celebrate that. God, I thank you for each person here. And Lord, as we continue our worship in the word, would you challenge and teach us, Lord, in Jesus' name. We pray these things. Amen. Good morning. If you have a Bible, would you turn to Proverbs chapter 22? If you're in need of a Bible, slip a hand up. We've got some ushers bringing them down the aisles right now, and you can uh, borrow one this morning. As you know, we kind of been going uh, verse by verse through Proverbs chapter 22 in this series called Catch 22. Thanks for being here. Thanks for those joining us online and those who will be at the Kindred campus tonight at six o'clock for worship. What a great day it is to gather and to worship our great God. And one of the things that makes him so great, I think, is his love for all people. Scripture speaks to the value of human life and points us to the truth of God's word. In places like Genesis 127, it says this, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And because every human is created in the image of God and because we have all been given significance by him, we receive the gift and the dignity of life from him, amen? We're continuing in this series called Catch 22. <clears throat> There's a part of me that wants to apologize ahead of time and then another part that doesn't want to apologize and because uh, Mother's Day, we kind of jokingly say on Mother's Day, there's always this nicey you know, uh, sermon and it's always kind and it's always uplifting and, it's, and then Father's Day, the topic today is wickedness. <laughs> I, it's just the way it worked out. I'm sorry, it's just the way this series worked out. It's not meant to pick on dads, it's not meant to pick on men, it's just, it's just what it is. So we're just following scripture. In this series, we will look at the proverbial sayings that will challenge our attitude, that'll challenge our behavior, and that'll challenge our pursuits in this life. And so far we've talked about reputation, and last week we talked about humility. I wanna begin by reading Proverbs 22, one through four, so you can kind of be reminded of where we've been and then yet where we're going. This is how it starts. A good name, remember we talked about reputation, is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. And then last week, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. And then today, verse five, in the paths of the wicked are snares and pitfalls. But those who would preserve their life stay far from them. Echoing the words of Paul in the book of Romans, if you're familiar with this, he kind of raises this question about his own life. How is it that I keep doing the things that I don't want to do? Or the things I know that go against God's character and God's way. And then he goes on and says, why can't I do the things that I want to do? And he creates this tension between living a life in the spirit and living life in the flesh of which I can relate and which you can relate. 
Number one on the outline is see the traps. And it's the first part of verse five. In the paths of the wicked are snares and pitfalls. The path of the wicked is not a frontage road taking you to the same destination of the road that leads to righteousness. It's not a frontage road that's just off the beaten path just a little bit. The path of the wicked is a path that leads away, completely away from the will of God. It's a path that's more like a divided highway. You can think of it like this. If, if, if God's way was this way and you see the traffic going the other way, it's complete opposite. That's what it means. The way of righteousness, the way of God's word, the way of God's will is this way. And this is the way of the wicked. It's complete opposite. It's the divided highway. There's nothing similar whatsoever. They're not closely linked whatsoever. And on this path, you will find corruption, you'll find deceit, immorality, idolatry, nasty, atrocious, depraved, foul, heinous, rotten, scandalous, vile, evil, disgusting things. Those are the things that are on the path of the wicked that he's warning us against. Snares and pitfalls are on that path. It's the way of the wicked. If you don't settle your mind and your heart on what you believe to be true about any given topic or area of life that has the potential to derail you, to destroy your relationships, that affect your work, that can blow up your family, that can ruin your marriage, if you don't settle in your mind and heart what you believe to be true, about lifestyle, about attitude, about choices, about behavior, about pursuits, about priorities. If you don't settle those things first based on the word of God and what God's word says about them, you're heading down a very dangerous path. And it's a path that any one of us could find ourselves on. An unprepared person is a prime target for, for the evil one. He knows that it is much more difficult to decide what you believe to be true based on the word of God when you're already entangled in the snare. A snare is a trap. Uh, typically one having a noose or a wire and they're used to catch birds or other kinds of animals. And I ask the question, I ask it of myself, how is it that we find ourselves dabbling in, diving in, indulging in the things that are blatantly against God's ways, blatantly against God's word, on the divided highway going the other way? How do we find ourselves there? Participating in the things that go directly against God's character. And the answer is a glass jar. Let me explain. Years ago in Southeast Asia, there was a group of people that wanted to figure out how to hunt monkeys. And they came up with this idea, they took a glass jar that had a wide base to it and then a narrow opening at the top, and they would put fruit and nuts and things in that glass jar, and then they would dig a hole in the ground, they'd put the glass jar beneath the ground and they'd cover it up to where just the opening was at the top. And the monkey uh, then was, uh, got curious and was hungry and would find its way to the glass jar and he could fit his little hand down into the glass jar and he would grab a hold of the fruit or the nuts and then he would clench his fist around it. But then when he went to pull his fist out, he couldn't get his fist out. And he would try over and over and over again and he'd get violent and try to yank his arm out. And, and even to the point of when he would, since a hunter was coming, he would get even more violent and try to get away, but he refused to let go of the fruit and the nuts. 
and he would be captured. The fruit in the jar became more valuable than life itself. How do we find ourselves participating in the things that are in direct opposition to God's character? Curiosity and hunger. The curious side of us leads us to want to explore, to to dabble, to flirt with disaster. And the hunger side leads us to, to want to satisfy the craving of the flesh. What is the glass jar for you? The second part of the verse is this idea of run for your life. And it says, but those who would preserve their life stay far from them. So as believers, we're instructed in in, in so many ways to run, to run from evil, to run from youthful passions, to run from the pride that, that takes us down a path of wanting to feed that craving of the flesh, to run from lustful things of the eye, to run from immorality, to run from idolatry, to run from hatred. But how? How are we gonna run from these things? I wanna give you a couple suggestions that are straight out of scripture. First, we pray. Matthew 6, 13 says this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The Lord's prayer, it's just a piece of it, but I wanna focus in on that for just a second. So first we pray, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There, There are a couple key words in this part of the Lord's prayer that are helpful uh, to help us learn how, what does it mean to run from evil? The first word is lead. It means to carry inwardly or to lead into. And what we're asking God to do as we pray that prayer, we're asking God to do is to lead us away from the very temptation that the evil one is attempting to lead us to. So imagine the glass jar. Uh, The evil one is luring us to the glass jar, right? With the fruit and the nuts or whatever that is for us. And our prayer in the Lord's prayer is to say, God, would you lead us in the opposite direction? Ask God to leave you away from the jar. We pray for deliverance. We pray for redirection. This is a really hard prayer. And maybe you know what I'm talking about because it's really hard to pray that prayer in a genuine sense until we're ready. Because sometimes we don't want to be redirected. Sometimes we don't want to ask the Lord to lead us because everything in us, the curiosity and the hunger is leading us to the jar. And to be honest, we enjoy the jar. And that's a hard prayer to pray until we're ready. The second word is temptation, and this word means the experience of evil. It means trials and tests of varied character. We're asking God to not allow us to be led into such trials and tests of our moral character by forces that are beyond our control. That's what we're asking. And the third word is deliver. This word means to rush or to rescue. It's a word that is used in scripture and is often used synonymous with the word save. Would you save us? 
to say rescue us away from. The word is used in conjunction with the idea of, of a current, if you could think of it like that. Picture a raging river for just a moment. And if that river represented the current of life while the lake to which it spills into represents the evil to which you do not want to go. When you ask God to deliver you or rescue you, as it's used here, you're asking him to save you from heading toward evil. It's a proactive prayer, not a reactive prayer. And this particular prayer is not a request to rescue us out of, but a request to rescue us, us from going toward. Deliver us from evil. So it's not when we get, find ourselves in the midst of the snare and when we're entangled in the snare, we're saying, God, get me out of here. That's, maybe that is a prayer and that's a different prayer, but this particular prayer is saying, don't let me go there. Are you praying that kind of prayer? So we pray, in another way we run from evil is we dress for battle. Ephesians 6, 10, 11 says this, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Satan and his army of fallen angels are very alive and very active. You probably already know that. And the battle for your soul is real. And the battle for your heart is real. And the battle for your mind is real. And the battle for your kids is real. And the battle for your life is real. And the battle for your marriage is real. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We don't stand a chance on our own. He's too powerful, he's too clever. We're incapable of relying upon our own strength to outlast the evil one's attempts on our lives. We cannot do it on our own. You've tried and I've tried. But what we can do is this, rely upon the power of God who is capable of outlasting, who's capable of overcoming the evil one. Because the scripture says, if God is on our side, who can possibly be against us? If you're a believer in Christ, Satan does not have to win the battle. You do not have to end up at the jar every single time. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Does the evil one have power? Yeah. But he's not all powerful. The Lord is all powerful. In the military, the intelligence corps plays a vital part in warfare because it enables the officers to know and understand the enemy. If we do not know the enemy, where the enemy is and what the enemy is all capable of, then we live in a very vulnerable life. We must know our enemy if we're to live a life free from evil. We have to know, friends, that he's a liar we have to know that he's a deceiver. We have to know that he's a manipulator, that he lives in darkness, that he's cunning, that he, he uses trickery and confusion, that he gets footholds in our life and then he gets strongholds in our life. We have to know those things about our enemy. 
And then we have to fight. Ephesians 6, 12, and 13. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. John Eldridge writes in his book, Waking the Dead, the world in which we live is a combat zone. It's a violent clash of kingdoms, a bitter struggle until death. There's a battle going on right now all around us. And what does the scripture say about the battle? It's not against other humans, rather it's against spiritual powers. Often it feels like it's against others. Often we, we direct our attention and, and our uh, thoughts and our resources towards other people because they are tangible. And that's where we end. And that's not where the battle is, the scripture says. The battle is around us in the spiritual realm. I've probably said this before, but the picture I like to use is if we could literally reach up and just peel back the heavens, just, just peel it back. What we would see is an incredible fight that is going on, an incredible spiritual battle that is going on. And that goes back to the battle for your life and the battle for your soul and the battle for your heart and your family, your kids and your mind. Right now as you sit here, he wants to lead you to a place in life where you have no desire to live for God to a place in your life when you begin to question and even doubt God, to a place when you live a defeated life, to a place where you're apathetic and you just don't care anymore, to a place where sin has a grip on you and it's to a place of compromise, to a place where you're beginning to tolerate the things that you used to call sin and the things you used to hate. to a place when you have been deceived to believe that the world offers you more than God can give you. His goal is to discourage you and to make you feel worthless. He wants you to believe all kinds of lies. He's on a mission to search and destroy. And we have to fight. Are you staying in the battle? Are you fighting? Are you fighting for your life? Are you fighting for your marriage? Are you fighting for your kids, for your family, for your mind? Your attitude, your good name, your reputation, humility. Because the truth be told, we're all fighting for something. And then we stand guard. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. To guard is more than just owning it. Your heart is yours to keep. To guard is a reference to maintaining and caring for your heart. Why? Because the heart is the epicenter of good and evil. And out of it comes the issues of life, meaning the moral conduct of life is determined by the condition of our heart. So goes your heart, so goes your life. If the heart is corrupt, 
life will be corrupt. And the heart is compared to a fountain. Physically, it's the central organ of the body. Morally, it is the seat of all of our affections and the center of morality. Scripture teaches us that the heart is deceitful above all else. Proverbs 22, five, the second part says, but those who would preserve their life stay far from the snares and the pitfalls. Identify your jar. The evil that maybe is luring you or already has a grip on you. Pray, lead us not into temptation. Dress for battle, put on the full armor of God, fight and stand guard. Let me leave you with one thing. Is to see the traps and run for your life. First Peter 5, 8, New Living Translation says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Don't let it be you. Father, thank you for uh, this morning and thank you for your word and the power of your word. Um, and Lord, uh, probably pretty quickly, we all have one or two or three or five things that have come to mind this morning that if uh, we were honest, the our curiosity has got the best of us. Our hunger has gotten the best of us to satisfy the cravings of the flesh. God, we trust you and we pray that you would deliver us, that you would redirect us, that you would rescue us from even going there. We wanna get dressed in the armor of God. We wanna pray, we wanna fight through the Holy Spirit, Lord. And we want to stay in guard. Would you give us the strength to do so? That we can honor you, that we can know what our jar is, but we can be a distance from it and point to that's my jar over there. I'm aware of it, but we run from it. In your name and in your strength. In Jesus' name, amen.